0: Hi, everyone. It is Jamie Jill right here at Madlet Musings, and I am super happy again to have Leslie Gould with us here to talk about her new release. Yay! Oh, it's
1: oh. so nice to be here, Jamie. It's so great. It's always it's so good great to, to talk you. with you.
0: Yes, <laughs> and your new release is called This Passing Hour, and it just came out this week, so congratulations. Yeah, thank you. No problem. Well, release week. Isn't it fun? <laughs> release weeks are always fun, and then they're also a little bit, I don't want to say overrated, but I get emails from people. What'd you do to celebrate? And I'm like the laundry yeah. <laughs> or edits on my next book. Yes, right. Right. Like this book, I haven't really yeah. looked at for the last year. <laughs> so let me see if I can right. remember what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. so now we'll test your memory. What is yes. this passing hour about?
1: <laughs> so I have my little cheat sheet with my cast of characters 100% acceptable (laughs) yeah so this passing hour is a dual time story the historical thread is set during world war ii in Lancaster county Pennsylvania and the contemporary thread is also set in Lancaster county um but it's from 2017 to 2018 and um the contemporary thread is about Brenna Zimmerman she's the middle sister of three sisters Um, Their parents uh, were killed in a tragic accident Mm. three years um, earlier. Brenna struggled with depression and anxiety before that happened. For months, everybody thought her parents' death was her fault. She was driving Mm. the the car that rolled. Um, So she just, you know, has had a pretty heavy load. Mm -hmm. Um, But now it's a few years after the accident she's you know been working slowly to get her life together she's in community college and she finally decides she needs to start helping others the focus has been on her for so long so it's a story about her um you know Mm -hmm. self-actualizing coming to terms with her past um with what kind of future she wants mm-hmm. and trying to reach out to others, even in pretty frustrating circumstances. Right. There happens to be an um, Afghanistan war veteran in one of her classes. And then it turns out that he lives in her apartment complex and she tries to reach out to him, but, it, but it's not easy. Okay. And she really has to persevere um, okay. through that. But thankfully she has a friend in Ukraine who she met in Germany a few years before who's also a Mennonite um, and they develop a long distance r- relationship, which is, you know, really a challenge for her too, because he becomes her best friend and she realizes that she's falling in love with him. But mm-hmm. you know, it's the age old question, do I want to risk losing my my best friend, you know, yes. for romance or should I just yes. keep the status quo? Right. But through all of this, her one of her, well, her great aunt is tells her the story of another great aunt who during World War II, pretty much managed the farm. So the mm. farm that, that Brennan's grandparents now have, including um, POWs, German POWs who worked on the farm. Oh. Um, so that that story is just a story of a strong woman, you know, meeting huge challenges ah. um, and also working for the Red Cross during that time. Okay, uh, So it just, you know, ties in these, these two very different women, but challenges that they both, faced in the same location, same location. Wow.
0: Years apart. Yeah. That's crazy too. Um, I I've heard of the German POWs being over here in the U S but tell me a little bit more about that because that's how did they get here and like what created that situation where they're over here working on farms?
1: Right. So what happened was at first, the German POWs went to England, but England quickly ran out of room and resources. To house the German POWs. Um, so as Liberty boats took US soldiers to Europe, they loaded German POWs. And there were also, you know, so it was the Axis POWs, you know, there were some Italian and Okay, yeah. Um, and some, you know, Japanese soldiers too that ended up in the US. But so they loaded them on the Liberty boats from Europe, brought them to the US, and they had camps all over the US. And right. the POWs worked, um, they worked for the forestry department, they worked on farms, they worked in factories, um, okay. and over 400,000 German POWs ended up coming to the United States. Really? That it was many? was a huge, huge amount. Wow. And yeah, and they, um, you know, they were treated really well here, much better than American POWs were, were treated in, you know, in Germany. Right, and, right over there they were fed well they were housed well Mm -hmm. all of that Mm -hmm. um and overall it worked worked out pretty well the U.S. you know really followed the Geneva Convention guidelines Mm -hmm. and all of that um but over 2,000 German POWs escaped while they were in the U.S. and that's a thread that I follow in my story and the the mother of the so Martha is the um historical thread okay. this. Her mm-hmm. mother came from Germany right before World War One. And okay. she's always been, you know, very pro-Germany. And yeah. her daughters are actually suspicious that she's spying for Germany. So that adds, you know, a whole nother oh, oh, oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, set of circumstances. And here they have these German POWs on their farm and one especially is super contentious, you know, they're afraid of what mm-hmm. he might do. Um, and within those, you know, 2,000 German soldiers or over 2,000 that escaped, some of them were helped by U.S. soldiers that were sympathetic to the Nazis. So so I just had a whole lot to work with when it came wow. to the historical thread. And then juxtaposed to all of that, I have a character... Um, who is the claire who is the okay. historical protagonist in mm-hmm. a brighter dawn her um husband jeremiah becomes a conscience conscientious objector because okay. mm-hmm. you know he's he's not going to serve in the army mm-hmm. um so he becomes um he becomes an orderly in the Philadelphia uh, Mental Hospital, okay. which was known as Byberry. Um, and there's a lot of information about that. So that was just another fun thing to do in the historical yeah. thread. So the um, orderlies who worked there that, you know, they were Mennonite, Amish, Quaker, mm-hmm. the the conditions there were just absolutely horrid, mm-hmm. just, you know, just people you know, who are just lying in their own filth, never never cleaned up, a lot of violence. A lot of the, um, you know, non conscientious objectors who lived there, you know, would go to work drunk just to get through the shift because things were so horrible. Um, So finally, um, a Quaker man, Took pictures of the conditions there. Okay. And he submitted it to journalists. And at first they were like, look, we have a war going on, nobody cares about this. But mm. by the time the war ended, they finally got the attention of a journalist and they also got the attention of Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah. And because of what these conscientious objectors did, mm-hmm. because of what they saw and said this has to change, it actually ended up being a movement to change, you know, mental. Hospitals, right. they, and they were, you know, called asylums back then. Right throughout right. the entire U.S. Mm-hmm. And for the um, Plain community in Lancaster County, a group of those men who worked in mental hospitals during yeah. World War II started Phil Haven, which is a mental health clinic for Plain people and they started it like in the early 1950s okay and it's since merged with another organization just in the last few years but it still has the name Philhaven in
0: -hmm. the
1: in the name of the um, organization and they offer mental health services so Brenna in the story has gone to a fictitious sure I I didn't use the name Philhaven but to a fictitious um, organization with you know therapy and she doesn't do inpatient treatment but the inpatient treatment they have um, you know, inpatient treatment where the the places don't have electricity, you know, mm-hmm. so if an Amish person needs to go there for treatment, they'll feel totally comfortable. Okay. They hire people from the plain community. So just, so it's, you oh. know, um, just really, you know, kind of, well, just reassuring to see all the good that came out of those conscientious yeah. objectors and what right. they ended up doing with what they saw. Right. Um, so right. that was, yeah, that was just a really intriguing thread to follow throughout yeah. the whole story. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's interesting too, because, you know, a lot of people might look at your cover and be like, okay, she's Amish or Mennonite fiction, but your fiction is really um, in depth. And, and for people who love like World War II fiction, it's really a unique perspective of that era that you crisscross with a modern day perspective. So I, I guess I, my point is you're definitely not the atypical. Amish writer so much as a historical writer with that perspective built in. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, I okay. think so. And I and um what I just found you know find so fascinating is that yeah, it's really easy to think of the Amish just have these simple lives and mm-hmm. you know, all of that. But whenever the US has had a big upheaval, mm-hmm. you know, they've had to face the same upheaval yeah. every time we've gone to war. Um, when there's a draft, mm-hmm. the, you know, the to have huge um, decisions to make. And one of those was after, uh, well, during World War One, they were treated really, really, really awful. And they, a group of plain, um, you know, elders and leaders mm-hmm. in the plain communities came up and they developed the civilian public service. Mm-hmm. So that if there was another war, there would be an easy, place to plug in conscientious objectors okay. Okay. so that they would immediately have a place to serve so before world war ii started you know when it was on the horizon mm-hmm. they are already started ramping up okay. the program Very. because during world war one you know there were just a lot of people who were persecuted they were treated really mm-hmm. badly mm-hmm. and other wars like the revolution wars of the civil war um plain people who didn't want to serve they either had to pay you know for someone else to serve or lots of them uh, during the revolutionary war quite a few uh, Amish families moved to Canada okay and that's you know how some of the settlements up there started interesting yeah and you know and other Amish young men decided to serve you Mm -hmm. know there are stories through you know through every war where Mm -hmm. Amish young men just chose to join the army or. Right, you know, but
0: whatever. traditionally so, Amish and Mennonite are are conscientious objectors because yes. they're, I don't wanna say they're anti-war, but what's their stance on, yeah. on that?
1: Right, they're non-resistant. That's what it is, so, okay. So, so, you know, they're a step beyond pacifists. Pacifists yes. won't fight. Non-resistant people in theory won't defend even themselves really yeah okay. so wow they, I mean and theoretically they won't even defend their children Ooh. but I don't yeah, yeah yeah and I don't know how that plays out in modern times there's right. there's a story and I'm not going to say the first name was Jacob last name starts with a b I should sure. have written this down <laughs> you know this is from That's research okay. from a lot and there have been like fiction accounts written yeah. in this and um but a a family early in this you know Amish settlements in Pennsylvania who the family was attacked by Indians or by Mm -hmm. Native Americans Mm -hmm. and they didn't they didn't defend themselves you know two of the sons and the dad were captured the mom Mm. was killed Wow. you know so it's so it's definitely uh well and you know early in the um anabaptist churches like in Mm -hmm. switzerland when they were persecuted in the 1500s right there's there's a story of a man an amish man or an anabaptist man escaping on the ice and the law enforcement person chasing him fell into the ice and he went back and pulled the man out and then the man arrested him. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> which which is really like loving your enemy, right? Oh, that's the I epitome mean, just, of
0: loving your enemy. Because yeah. your enemy yes. doesn't necessarily re- renew themselves into somebody nice.
1: Yeah. So there's, you know, there just are accounts of the true non-resistant, right. you know, right. ideology mm-hmm. and
0: how it has played out in history. And so. now that's interesting, too, because you have that viewpoint and then you bring in German POWs onto their properties and so from one standpoint I suppose they were good choices to have the POWs work with because they weren't necessarily going to be filled with animosity toward the German community am I correct I'm I'm like I'm like thinking as I'm talking like hmm
1: <laughs> yeah I think for you know I think there was just fear of what the German POWs might do but yeah. but you know the truth was so many people so many young men were off at war or, yeah. and then even the conscientious objectors, you know, their young men were off serving other places too. They were just really short on labor. Interesting. You know, they, they, and farms all over the U.S. needed the labor and the forest mm-hmm. service needed the labor and, right, you know, right. just to, to get the crops done and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and fight forest
0: fires and all of that. And am I correct in in my knowledge, that a lot of the German soldiers that were taken prisoner weren't equated to Nazis. Like, a lot of them were pressed into service by the regime, but they weren't necessarily holding to the Heil Hitler elements of the German army. Am I correct? Right.
1: Yeah, that's true. But in the POW camps, the Nazi officers had a lot of power. Oh, they did. Okay. They did. And, you know, at that point, um, a lot of the some of the POWs, you know, thought that that Hitler would be triumphant. I mm. mean, they, and they yeah. were so impressed with the landmass and the resources of the U.S. A lot mm. of those officers really thought that, you know, there would be German fighter planes coming across the Atlantic soon attacking the U.S. And the Third Reich would have all the resources of the U.S. Um, and, you know, there was this threat of to the, um, you know, enlisted Mm-hmm. German soldiers, if you don't toe the line and do what we tell you to, you'll pay pay the repressions when we return to Germany or mm-hmm. your family might okay. so mm-hmm. there was a lot of control but there but there definitely were were pows who were very much against um you mm-hmm. know the Nazis uh, right and even if they like weren't against the ideology and all of that, they they just didn't see any hope for themselves mm. within that whole regime and there there are some you know really interesting accounts you know just good resources as far as books um, there's a, a whole book about um, Nazi prisoners of war in America, you know, okay. there's a great resource. Mm-hmm. There's this story or this um, book by Alexis Clark, Enemies in Love, mm. about an army nurse, a okay. female army nurse who falls in love with a German soldier. Totally wow. true story, really? you know, so, um, and, you know, he, he just, he wanted to stay in the U.S., mm-hmm. and there are lots of stories of um, POWs who, went back to Germany, and then were able to immigrate to the U.S., you okay. know, I mean, it took years, you know, sure. sometimes decades, yeah. um, but so a lot of those soldiers, right, just really fell in love with the U.S., and, mm-hmm. you know, could see the, the freedom that right. citizens had, and especially coming out of Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. um, you know, such so a contrast yeah. Yeah. between what life was like in the U.S. Right. and and what life was like in Germany. And then, you know, post war Germany with, right. you know, so Very many different. shortages mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, um, just, you know, whole towns that had been half bombed, you know, cities yeah. that were. Yeah just decimated right um, right
0: yeah and that was so. one thing that the U.S. definitely was able to avoid for the most part was the actual war mm-hmm. on our soil yes, which is up a up for Pearl different... harbor
1: right oh right exactly mm-hmm. oh yeah I mean the you know just the devastation in yeah. Europe was yeah yeah okay. wow, wow so demoralizing
0: so we've talked a lot about the historical aspect of your book. So let's move into the present day then. And how does that tie into the story that comes out within the present day as she's learning about her great aunt and these German POWs, et cetera?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the, really the tie-in is that you have these, you know, two women, all these decades apart, 70 years apart. um, And, you know, they both Feel like there are these expectations on them what they what they should be doing but okay. what they want to do is very different mm-hmm. and you know, how do you break away from those expectations um and then what if those expectations you know include uh being there for family members you know how you know what what uh, what's your responsibility yeah. it goes between your hopes for your future and your responsibility to your family those are so huge they, questions yeah yeah so they both have to grapple with that and yeah. uh, and then the the connection between all of it is uh, Rosine who um, is the aunt who tells the stories okay so, so she's the one family member who you know lived during World War II who's mm-hmm. still alive okay and she just acts as a bridge and it's you know it's all of her memories mm-hmm. um it's just. Uh, the whole idea with the Amish Memories series is how much the memories of our ancestors affect us and mm. affect the decisions that we make. And it it's not even so much, you know, how do their actions of the past affect us? Because, I mean, we we only hear the stories from the past from their point of view. Right, <laughs> so right. They can be very curated stories. Yes. <laughs> and if that's really the only only way we get the information um, they are they're definitely influencing us mm-hmm. so just to see like what Rosine has lived through mm-hmm. in her 90 years of life and how her memories affect these three great nieces of hers yeah. Her and and really influences the decisions that they make. And she's not doing it in a manipulative way. Right. She just sees their needs Yeah. and thinks,
0: okay, this is the story that they need to hear. Need to hear. It's, it's so, I don't want to say strange, but it, it was surreal. That's the word I'm looking for. It's so surreal. Cause me, when I was growing up, I was surrounded by all my great uncles who were world war II vets Aww. and you know, my great aunts and my grandmother, you know, as, as the wives, the girls that were nurses, or they stayed home and took care of the farm mm-hmm. or, you know, all of their stories. And so that was just as part of my growing up, it was almost, it was just, just one generation off from that firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. And now I look at my kids and I'm like, I'm not sure that my children have ever met a World War II veteran, Mm. you know, and you just look at how, as, as life goes on and those generations progress, how important it is for these stories to get passed along. And that's one of the things I love about your books too, is because there are elements of World War II stories that you just don't hear about. Mm. You know, when you're looking at World War II, you're not necessarily thinking Amish or Mennonite, you know, that's not a, equation right. in my mind. <laughs>
1: right. Because we just don't we just don't think about them being mm. affected by no. all that. Yeah. Right. My and I'm I know I've told you this before that my dad was a World War Two veteran mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he he wrote he ended up writing a book. He you know kind of kept a journal which you weren't really supposed to do during the war and then right. he fleshed it all out after the war while he was still in Europe. And then um so thirty years later, forty years later, he ended up co-authoring a book. Okay. Um, so we, so we have all that, and then a few years later, he wrote down all of his memories from childhood. Mm. And I'm just so grateful. I mean, he wrote yeah. down like how much rent was and how much a gallon of milk cost. I mean, so he had an amazing memory because I can't remember you know that stuff. But I, I really hope one of my siblings will write the <laughs> <laughs> no, history of our childhoods. Right. Because that's so much work. It yes. is. but it, And, you know, I just think writing nonfiction is so much
0: harder than writing fiction. Oh, 100%. 100% agree with you on that. <laughs>
1: I guess I'm lazy. but um, <laughs> I just want to I, make things up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and plus, I'm the youngest of four. We were all born in five years, so we we're really close okay. together. But, like, my older sister has such a great memory, like, the things she remembers. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. <laughs> like, you yeah, read the book. But, but I'm so thankful that he wrote both of those accounts. And I, I I hope that, you know, that we all keep doing those sorts of things for our kids and grandkids, because nobody's going to have our tax. (laughs) who knows how long social media will last I
0: don't know it's probably it'll probably be saved in a vault somewhere that gets hidden (laughs) and then you know 150 years from now they'll be on the quest to find the hidden social media files and they'll have like television shows about that anyway I digress but
1: (laughs) yeah but I have in the story I have these old-fashioned scrapbooks you know with the Mm. black paper and the sticky corners and my dad you know has we have his scrapbooks from world war ii and after and yeah yeah i just you know really really treasure those Mm -hmm.
0: i have four years of my grandpa's letters that he wrote to my grandma during the war um, and i've made it through some of them but now i'm at that point where i'm thinking these are over you know they're on their way to almost 100 years old, really, when you think mm-hmm. about it, we're what 20 years off, yeah, yeah, that. they're 80 years old. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm looking at that and I'm like, how do we preserve these letters because they're just on paper and half of them are written in pencil mm-hmm. and they're just going to fade over time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just like, I don't know how to preserve all this. Well,
1: in your spare
0: time, <laughs> in my spare time, I'm going to transcribe, gonna transcribe
1: this. See, that's one of the things that a dad did. He started out transcribing all of the letters, you know, that he wrote and that his parents and sister and everybody wrote to him and Mm -hmm. aunts and uncles. And then that, then he did his journals and yeah, it's, it is just wonderful to have all of that.
0: Well, maybe I'll have to do that or else I'll, you know, I homeschool my kids, so this might be (laughs) their, their typing class here Here, for typing class. You're going to transcribe four years of letters. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And just think of everything that they'd learned from that. Know
0: that's, not, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Right. They, you may not be their favorite author when I tell them you gave me the idea. <laughs> <but> I, <laughs> well, I might not be anyway, so it's worth it. <laughs> oh, I so. love it. Okay, so this book is um, the second in the Amish Memories series, mm-hmm. correct? Um, but you don't have to necessarily read them in order, or do you?
1: Yeah, you know, you... You wouldn't have to, but it would help.
0: Okay. Yeah. I okay. mean, I don't, you know, rely
1: a lot on the backstory of the others, but but it it definitely would help. It does help. Okay.
0: Well, and that's good to know too, because I'm one of those people. Like, if there's a tie in, I like to read it in order. But yeah. then sometimes I know that the ties between books in like a trilogy or something is just the location and then all the characters are right. different so
1: i'm i'm doing that with my next series that you can you know you okay. read them in any order and there won't be any connecting characters so yeah i'm you know i like doing it both
0: ways but that's fine that's fine yeah. yeah all right well this this is called this passing hour and it is out now um, so you can go ahead and get it and if readers order it from Baker Bookhouse, they can still get 30% off in free shipping. So that's still probably one of your least expensive places to get it. And you're yeah. also supporting a brick and mortar bookstore. Yay! Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely best deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Baker bookhouse.
0: Definitely. Wonderful.
1: And if yeah, readers uh, want
0: to follow you and get to know you and because you have a lot more books available than just yes. this one.
1: Yeah, this um uh, um this passing hour is my 45th book. And then I have, that's you know, amazing. some novellas too, yeah, but yeah. yeah, that's so exciting. So, yeah. But yes, follow me, um, hop on over to lesliegould.com okay. and then, you know, you can follow me on um, Facebook, Instagram, yeah. all of that. I send out a newsletter, monthly newsletter. I do lots of giveaways of my books and other people's books. So definitely awesome. sign up for my newsletter and, you know, send me an email if you have any questions, I, I will answer it. <laughs> soon <laughs> I mean you know I try to do it within a day but it, sometimes it's a week if I'm on deadline I know and I found lately I've I been, feel bad yeah
0: you, I don't <laughs> know if you're <laughs> like me I hope not but I found that i have started to answer emails via ESP like I reply in my head <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> then I'm like oh wait that never right, actually said that <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh, fun. Well, Leslie, it was so fun having you here today, and um, I look forward to having you back on book three. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate
1: what you do a lot.
0: (laughs) Today's episode is sponsored by Ravel and Bethany House Publishers, which are divisions of Baker Publishing Group. Find out more at bakerpublishinggroup.com. Thank you for listening to Madlit Musings. You can find out more information about Madlit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com.